Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. So I'm ready to get started. You ready to get started? Are you ready to get started? <laughs> Online, are you ready to get started? Put yeah in the chat. So I'm excited. <laughs> Let me get with my lead pastor, Pastor Steve. Hello. How you doing? It's been an interesting morning, but doing well. <laughs> Amen. So as usual, my first question is simply this. Why do you feel it's necessary to talk about this topic? Well, our, our culture is already talking about it. A lot, you know, uh, the, the, the topic of gender and sexuality is something that is very much in the, the, the national dialogue, and uh, we're a part of culture, and so we ought to be talking about it in the church too. Uh, you know, the reality is that as a pastor, I have uh, discussed with many people, helped walk with many people through all kinds of issues around sexuality. I've personally interacted even with transgendered uh, folks in the church, I could recall years ago, um, a youth camp, and uh, there's a young lady who's part of the youth camp, and we found out uh, that she was actually born as a boy, and that sort of complicated which room she would stay in. And, um, you know, on, on top of this, I have family members who are gay and lesbian and working through gender issues. I also have children who are in public school and engaged in social media and are immersed in all of these things. So this isn't like some distant issue far away. This is up close and personal for me. And I'm guessing it's the same for many of the folks who are both uh, watching and listening to this right now. Yes, yes, and yes. I totally affirm what you're saying because I have family members, friends, um, and those I don't know that's within the church is actually battling and wrestling with this topic we're talking about. And one of my good friends this morning shared with me that uh, his, his child is gay. And that's the first time he ever expressed that to me. That was literally like 25 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So we're here in the room and we're gonna be very sensitive in this area. So. With that said, I want to ask the first question. We can kind of go from there. Yeah. Uh, This is a question that was um, given to us throughout this week, okay? The question is, can someone who is LGBT also be a Christian? Well, I I think it's helpful to define terms right away. So LGBT is an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. There's also a couple other letters that often get included in that, Q, I, A, and plus. And the term Christian, I think, is important to define that as somebody who has placed their faith in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So I've had some time to think about this question, uh, and so I'd like to address it here, and then we'll sit back down and discuss. Good with you? Absolutely, sir. Okay. So before we get going on this, I, I think it's important that we affirm two things. Um, number one, let's not talk about people as if they're not in the room. I know for a fact that there are folks who are, who are watching and listening to this who are directly struggling with issues of gender and sexuality, and countless others who are indirectly struggling with gender and sexuality. Uh, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a parent, extended family member. 
I have a friend who, who has raised their child as one gender and the child has grown up and has, has, has informed the parents, I'm now identifying as a different gender. Uh, this is in Sunrise Church. So let's not talk about people as if they're not in the room. I think it's very important that we remain incredibly compassionate as we discuss these things. And the second one is this. Uh, the, the church doesn't exactly have a great track record when it comes to ministering to those who are LGBT. I bet every one of us knows at least one person who used to make gay jokes all the time. You know, they would talk in an, in a, in an effeminate voice or they would use crude remarks. I've actually seen this on stage in churches. And they'd crack a joke and everyone would laugh, including the person who was secretly struggling with this. They laughed. Uh, because they didn't want their secret to get out because they knew that if they did, they'd be the subject of the next joke. And, and, and they secretly would carry this burden alone. And, and it's uncomfortable to admit, but I think many of us in the Christian community have been uh, dismissive and unkind and would rather uh, run away from tough topics than actually lean into them and discuss them. And for that, I say that I am sorry. We can do better. Let's start today. So the question is, yeah. <clears throat> so the question is, uh, can someone who is LGBT also be a Christian? Uh, the quick answer to this is absolutely yes. Uh, of course, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, this is a gift from God so that no one can boast. That Anyone under any circumstance can call on the name of Jesus. Grace is, by definition, an undeserved gift. We actually don't have to work for it. Our job is to receive it by faith. So anyone, regardless of their circumstance, can, can give their life to Jesus and receive salvation, become a Christian. But I'm guessing that's not really what this question was asking. <laughs> I think the question behind the question was probably... Uh, can I both have a personal relationship with Jesus and be sexually active in a variety of, of sexual expressions? And so I, I think the answer to this question all comes down to, to really one simple thing, and that is, do you believe that the Bible is something that can be trusted and that you should use it as a guide for how you live your life? Now, there are many people in here who believe that the Bible is God's word, it has no error, and it is the standard by which we should live. I should wrap my behavior around this, not the other way around. There's plenty of people who don't believe the Bible at all. And so if I say, hey, well, the Bible said so, the answer is, okay, I don't believe the Bible. <laughs> so there's probably not a whole lot that I could say that would change the way that you think or behave. But I think there's a whole lot of people who would probably consider themselves kind of like a, like a modern Christian. You know, I'm, I'm religiously engaged, I'm just not as dogmatic about certain issues as maybe my parents are, or my grandparents are. And maybe it's possible that you're not in, entirely familiar with what the Bible says, because it does have a lot to say about gender and sexuality. So this is what I want to do this morning. I simply want to identify just five different areas of what our culture teaches about gender and sexuality, and what scripture teaches about gender and sexuality. I'm just gonna put them up side by side and then let you decide how you wanna respond, okay? So we'll be as fair as possible. And so here, here's the first thing that uh, culture teaches about sexuality. Number one, and that is that gender is fluid. 
What exactly is, is gender fluidity? Well, let me give you a, a definition from the Harvard Medical Review on gender fluidity. This is what they said. They said, uh, people whose gender identity doesn't match the sex assigned to them on their original birth certificate. So that means that some days uh, you may identify as a boy, some days you may identify as a girl, at times you may identify as both, at times you may identify as neither, that, that there is fluidity there. Uh, an example of this from our culture is pop star Demi Lovato. So back in May of 2021, this is what she said, I identify as non-binary. With that said, I'll be officially changing my pronouns to they and them. I feel that this best represents the fluidity I feel in my gender expression and allows me to feel most authentic and true to the person I both know I am and am still discovering. So Demi Lovato, just a week ago, was back in the headlines because she changed her pronouns again. This was with her quote. She said, I've been feeling more feminine, and so I've adopted she, her again. And so the, the cultural understanding of gender is that it's fluid. There may be times where, where you identify one way or another, and that may, that may change throughout the course of life, and it, it can be very much affected by the way that you feel as it was with Demi Lovato. Scripture teaches a very different message. If culture teaches that gender is fluid, Scripture teaches that gender is fixed. In the very first book, in the very first chapter of the Bible, it took God 27 verses to address the issue of gender. This is what he said in Genesis 1:27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The message of the Christian Bible is that God created gender as two options, male and female. Now, to be fair, this happened before sin entered the world and marred everything. So the question that is worth asking is, does this still hold up? According to Jesus, the answer is yes. He affirmed this in a conversation he had with religious leaders in the New Testament, Matthew 19, when he said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? So Jesus himself affirmed a strict binary understanding of gender, that it's male and female, that it's fixed and created by God. So that's our first difference. Here's the second one, number two. Sexuality has a spectrum. This is the cultural understanding of sexuality, that it has a spectrum. Now again, let's, let's define terms. What, would we, what do we mean by sexuality? Well, I was just reading a, a blog post by a licensed clinical social worker this past week who who posted this article on a, on a medical website called Healthline, and uh, this is what she, she describes sexuality as. How and if you experience sexual and romantic attraction. And so the cultural understanding is that every single one of us is born on a spectrum, and this is where you would experience your sexual and romantic attraction. Now, it wasn't that long ago that in our culture there's, there's an understanding of, of two options, gay and straight, right? Well, the title of this article was 47 Terms That Describe Sexual Attraction, Behavior, and Orientation. Heterosexuality is one of those 47. So the idea is that you have this massive spectrum, and throughout your life, you, again, you may move throughout the spectrum, you may settle in on one, uh, et cetera. And so that, that's the understanding. Sexuality has a spectrum. Again, Scripture teaches a different message. If culture teaches sexuality has a spectrum, 
Scripture teaches sexuality has a standard. Again, let's go back to the first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter 2. It says this in verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This was the invention of marriage. One man, one woman, one flesh. That phrase, one flesh, refers to the physical union, which is not just sexual intercourse, but it's also a lifetime commitment of unity before one God. But again, it begs the question, if this was before sin entered the world, is this something that still holds up since sin changed everything? And again, according to Jesus, the answer is yes, it does still hold up. Let's go back to Jesus' teachings in Matthew 19. We read this before. He said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so Jesus even added to this in saying that there's a creator who has made people of fixed gender and that God joins together the one man and one woman into a marital relationship. That is the standard of sexuality. And then the book of Hebrews in the Bible is almost like a mixture between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it also addresses this issue in Hebrews 13, 4, when it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And so the teaching of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then the book where the Old and New Testament come together is that there, are, there is one standard by which sexuality is honoring to God, and that is in the confines of a marriage between one man of fixed gender and one woman of fixed gender. So according to the Bible, any kind of sexual activity that happens outside of the husband and wife relationship is considered immoral. So that would include, but certainly not limited to, the single heterosexual man who's sleeping with his girlfriend, the single homosexual female who is sexually active, uh, the engaged couple, who's sleeping together, uh, the couple living together, it's the person in, in, indulging in pornography, even a legally married gay couple would be considered outside of God's standard of marriage. And so if this is somebody like you and you're wanting, wondering how do I live a way that's God-honoring, you abstain from sexual, sexual activity until or unless you are married. Three more, we'll go through them quickly, and then I promise we'll let you breathe again. Uh, number three, culture teaches, love yourself. Before you can love anybody else, you must first love yourself. You have to be enough. Many of us believe this is almost like background music, right? Again, Scripture teaches a very different message. If culture teaches love yourself, Scripture teaches die to self. Jesus literally taught that anyone who wants to be his disciple must not love themselves, but deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow him. Jesus' invitation was to die to your old self and be raised to new life, to live into that new reality. Two more. Culture teaches, uh, be true to your heart, that your feelings and your desires are indications of 
your true self. And if you want to live your most authentic life, you have to pay attention to those and respond accordingly. Similar to Demi Lovato. She was feeling more feminine and needed to respond to that. The idea is you have to be true to your heart. Scripture teaches a different message. Scripture doesn't teach be true to your heart. Scripture teaches beware of your heart. Jesus taught that all evil thoughts come out of the heart. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah called the heart deceitfully wicked. The message of the Bible is not be true to your heart, it's beware of it. Here's one more. Culture teaches love is love. Let's not overcomplicate it. Let's not box it in. Any person in any circumstance can love anyone else. Let's not be judgmental. Love is love. Scripture teaches a different message. It teaches not love is love, but God is love. That God doesn't just show love, but is actually the very essence of love, the, the measuring stick to know what love is. Love displayed through justice, mercy, and grace. Love and injustice in that he doesn't allow sin to go unpunished, so instead he punished his own son. Mercy in, in that he loves us so much he does not give us what we deserve, and then grace, he loves us so much that he actually gives us what we don't deserve. That love is actually not the standard of love. God is the standard of love. And, and, and so when you look at this list of these five together, uh, gender is fluid, gender is fixed. Sexuality has a spectrum, sexuality has a standard. Love yourself, die to self. Be true to your heart, beware of your heart. Love is love, God is love. One thing that ought to occur to you when you just see these things side by side is this. These two worlds simply are not compatible. And we have to decide what we want to do and how we want to respond. You know, there's, there's a fascinating story that's buried deep in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 22. It's about this king named Josiah. And he decides that he wants to, to rebuild the temple, which was like the epicenter of Jewish religious life. And he'd been neglected over the years by priests who, who weren't doing the job. So, so he hires this crew to, to get the repairs underway. And in the process, they find a, a book of the law, which would have been the scripture that was available to them at the time. So if they found the book of the law, that tells us all they weren't reading the book of the law, much less following the book of the law. And, and so they bring it to the king like, hey, look what we found. You know, they blow the dust off of it. And so he says, well, he, the king says, well, why don't you read it? And listen to how the king responded after they read the book of the law. It says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. The tearing of garments was a symbol of repentance. It was admission of, I, I got this wrong, but now I'm going to vow to you, God, I'm going to work to get it right. And this king, in a very public way, did so in front of the people. And so I, I think it's possible that there's, there's some of us in the room or who are watching online who maybe we just didn't know what the scriptural message was and just how different it is from the cultural message, but now we know. And the reality is that we're accountable to it. And so really, it's just going to be up to us to decide how we're going to respond. Pastor. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for laying the foundation because I think the reason we get ourselves into trouble is because some of us like to cherry pick out the Bible instead of uh, uh, looking at Scripture with integrity and in what the Word of God is saying to us as individuals. So I want to continue this conversation. And this is a question that came in. It is... Does a person's identity and how they identify really affect the relationship with the Lord? 
I'd say 100% emphatic yes. Identity is everything. It's, it's how we find meaning in this life, right? Uh, and so the, the prevailing teaching forever was that we need to be validated by someone else. Uh, we'll, 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 let's illustrate this through Disney princesses, okay? Let's take Ariel from The Little Mermaid, right? She's floating around in the water and saying, I just want to be part of their world, right? I need to change my life to be a part of their world. That, that was the, the thought. I'm validated by somebody else. I need to do what I need to to fit in. But the, but, but, but the culture has shifted almost to the other extreme, especially over the, t- the last 10 years. I don't know if it's a response to that or a reaction to that or whatever, to now it's, I need to validate me. I, I can't be waiting on everybody else or dependent on everybody else for validation. I validate me. So a perfect example of this would be uh, Elsa from the movie Frozen, right? Uh, so so the, the signature song, Let It Go. All right, so she's, she's by herself, which I think is key. And, you know, even the words of the song, you know, um, uh, don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl they always want you to be, you know, conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. So it, it, then, you know, let it go. And she, she undergoes this, this coming out, essentially, uh, where she's got this kind of drab outfit and her hair is kind of up in a bun and, you know, the hair comes flopping down and her, her outfit turns into this grand blue robe and she's singing Let It Go and even now the song is blasting around inside your heads. Um, but that's an idea of here's, here's Ariel swimming around by herself saying, I want to be a part of their world. Here's Elsa by herself saying, no, I am no longer letting everybody else tell me who I need to be. I need to validate myself. And uh, that's actually a theme you see in almost every superhero movie, every, every Disney movie. It's, it's really becoming now the prevalent thought. Well, Scripture offers a third alternative. And that's not that I'm validated by somebody else but, or that I validate myself, but that Christ validates me. As Paul said, um, it is, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is a gift that Jesus loves me and validates me, not because of anything I did, but because he simply loves me. And when I give my life to him, it transforms my identity. It, it changes my meaning and, and why I live. Um, and, and so when I find my identity in Christ, all other markers of my identity get demoted. And so for many people, sexuality is the primary marker of their identity. You know, I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm lesbian, I'm bi, whatever the case is. Uh, and so that, that colors the way that you see the world and how you live and love. But for just a moment, let's take sexuality off the board and let's take two other markers of identity that people um, tend, tend to strongly identify with, ethnicity and nationality. So ethnicity, uh, I'm black, I'm white, uh, I'm Asian, whatever. Uh, nationality, you know, I'm American, I'm Mexican, I'm Indian, I'm African. Uh, those tend to be the markers, and when, when those are the primary things of your identity, that affects how you see the world. So you and I were recently in Kenya, Africa, and the main guy who was our guide and our leader was a guy named Augustine, which we called Gus. Um, just describe for people, how would you describe Gus uh, for those who, who don't know him? Very laid back, um, one who controls the room, um, but he walks in with this presence of, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, he challenges those to ensure that they were in their word, 
and uh, he held people accountable. Yeah, funny. He's funny. Funny, too. Hilarious guy. <laughs> right, so, so he's like the greatest guy ever, right? So because of my identity in Christ, I could look at Gus, an, another person, another follower of Jesus on, on the other side of the planet, and I could look up to him. And you and I had all these conversations about how much we looked up to this guy, right? But let's just say that the primary marker of my identity was my ethnicity. So I could look at a person like Gus and say, yeah, you know, sharp guy, loves the Lord. It's too bad he's not white. Uh, man, if he was just white, that would have been the whole package. Or, or let's just say that nationality is my primary identifying marker. Uh, hey, you know, great guy, but, you know, it's Africa. I mean, Africa's great, but it's not America. We all know America's the greatest, right? But because of my identity in Christ, I see him as a brother, and I could serve him because Jesus has literally changed my identity, which means all other markers get demoted. And when you look at the identity passage in Scripture, like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's what we symbolize with baptism, right? It's not a marginally improved version of yourself. It's a new you. Uh, 1 John 4 talks about those who place their faith in Jesus becoming children of God. He literally adopts us into his family. And as a father of two adopted children, when I adopted my kids, their identity totally changed. They got a new father. They had new opportunities. They had a new future. When we place our faith in Jesus, our whole identity changes. We have a new father. We have new purpose and meaning. We have a new future. And that ought to change the way we look and view everything, including every other marker that we have over identity. It should demote everything else. And so uh, I think identity is huge. Whoever asked this question was really sharp and really, I think, getting beneath the layer of it all. You know, that's, wow. And if I can add a couple of things, you know, it's like you said, we must die to self and take more of him. Mm -hmm. And we need to begin to change our terminology. I'm a Christian who just happens to be black, or I'm a mm. Christian who happens to be a police officer. I'm a Christian who happens to be a nurse. I'm a Christian who happens to work at this Fortune 500, or no 100, right? It, it, it's how you see yourself and who you place yourself in. Now, I think many of us get caught up because we place in our faith and our trust in ourselves, mm -hmm. and literally it gets us nowhere, but as you said, Steve, when we recognize who we are in him, our identity is shifted and we're able to move further. That's an excellent point because when I became a Christian, I didn't cease being white. I didn't cease being an American. Those things are still a part of who I am, but they've been demoted. And the primary thing is my identity in Christ. And when I, when I start with that, everything else uh, b begins to fall in line with, with the right priority. Amen. Remember, we're going to be... Give God a hand clap. Don't give it big. Again, um, as we're having this discussion, if we don't answer them today, we will answer them throughout the week, okay? So the number is 909-281-7797, and we want you to text question, okay? Um, and we're going to do the best we can to answer those questions for you. So this is another one that just came in. All right. How do I teach my children about the LGBT community before they hear it from the world? Yeah, how do I teach my children about the LGBT community before they learn about it from the world? So that was texted in this morning. Um, well, I think a huge piece of this is 
that we have to be willing to engage with our kids. And I think that for many parents, and again, kids, this is children, the varying ages, I mean, if they're adults, this is going to be a different conversation. But for sake of the conversation now, let's say they're younger. Uh, moms and dads, we can't just leave kids in front of the screens and hope for the best. We have to be willing to put down our phones and engage with the content they're engaging in. Uh, so, for example, this past, this past week um, on Disney+, Plus, the movie Lightyear came out. And uh, Lightyear was, is a... Is a Disney movie that was already controversial even before its release because one of the main characters is married to another woman and, and there's a, uh, a lesbian kiss in the, in the kids' movie, right? Um, and so my kids are saying, hey, we want to we watch this. And so it was, I sat down with, with my kids and, and had a conversation about, hey, listen, this is what's going to be in the movie. And so let, let's talk about this and this is what God's word has to say and this is what you're going to see in the movie. Here's the deal. I can't allow the movies to raise my kids. I can't allow social media to raise my kids. I have to be willing to have these conversations. And as your kids get older, if you haven't been having these conversations when they're younger, what makes you think you're going to have a voice now? Uh, it, it, it's really important, I think, that we're talking about not just this, but any sensitive issue. Any sensitive issue. If you can develop a rapport with your kids where you discuss hard things, that when an issue comes out, it's not weird and foreign, like, oh, gosh, what is mom doing today? Why are we, uh, why are we talking about this? You know, why is dad bringing this up? It's because it's so uncomfortable because it's not happening. And so I would encourage, especially people with young kids, make sure that you're leaning into these tough things and not just, like, crossing your fingers and hoping that they get it right. And I would add that they're going to hear it either way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's best that they hear it from you. You know, in Proverbs it says... Trying to put a child in he in a way he or she should go, and they shall not depart from it. Now that doesn't mean they might not shift. Mm -hmm. Okay, we want to make sure we take that scripture in context. But us as parents, we have an obligation to have those conversations. And yes, they may be uncomfortable. Yes, they may cause some tension or mm -hmm. friction in the house. Mm -hmm. But I must do that. So you kind of use the the the, the movie. Yeah. They're, they're already attacking the children at that age. Culture is. Mm -hmm. So if I don't give them another set of lenses, mm -hmm. then what do they have to compare it to? You know, Pastor Anthony, that's excellent. And this is a little bit of a sobering statistic. Uh, and so I, I say this with a lot of heaviness. The average age that a child is exposed to pornography is the age of eight. And so I just believe that Moms and dads need to be having conversations about sexuality, uh, I think, before the age of eight. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I remember sitting down and, and talking to my, my son about the birds and the bees, which was super awkward for me, but for a kid, you know, it's just, it's just like a science lesson. You know, they, don't, they don't have all the shame and all of the stuff that we bring into it. Um, but, you know, for so many parents, it's like, I just want to keep my kids sheltered from the world. Well, well not, not too long after that, my, my, uh, my son came in one day, and he says to me and my mom, he goes, Mom, what's, and he like asks us this question about like a very specific thing about sex, and we're like, in my mind, I'm exploding like, what? Where did you hear that? But I'm like, hmm, okay, interesting, you know? And so we sit down and talk about it, but here's the, and, and this is where it happened. He was sitting on my front porch with the neighbor's kids, okay? This wasn't in like some deep, dark alley in secular evil world. This was my porch, <laughs> okay? This was my own house. So it's not like I can keep my kids from the world, but here's the deal. We were able to talk about it because 
we already got to them first. We already had those conversations that opened the door for these kinds of questions to come out. And as my kids get older, it's just something that we have to kind of hit refresh and ask. And, you know, especially when they become teenagers, it's really hard because they don't want to talk. But I think you just got to pick and choose those opportunities. And, and you've, got, you've got to raise your kids. You can't let the culture and entertainment do it. <laughs> amen. Get, if you're going to clap, clap. Amen. Let's get it in. It, it's funny. You took me down memory lane uh, when you said... Um, they're getting exposed as early as the age of eight. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're in this room. We used to go to the video store. They used to have like a blockbuster where you go rent mm -hmm. movies. And it used to be this curtain. And you weren't allowed to go through the curtain because that was where all the pornography and mm -hmm. all those type of movies mm -hmm. were. Yeah. And it's funny now how it's now transitioned from being somewhat private to let's put it into the living room. Mm into cartoons, into Disney movies, on commercials. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that they're getting exposed by coach in various ways, so we have to be bold as well to make yeah. it happen. That's great. It's no longer a curtain. It's on our phones. Right. And uh, I think with kids, you know, you would never, you know, my, my, my eight-year-old son, I would never toss him the keys and say, here, go drive yourself to school. I have to understand that it's going to take him time to understand how to operate a vehicle. But yet, we hand smartphones to kids and say, here you go, navigate it yourself. That's, that's very dangerous, and I think we need to be sober of that. Amen. Great question. Great question. <laughs> Interesting. This one just came in. Okay. Should I attend a same-sex wedding? Yeah, we talked about this past week with our pastors, and how would you describe the room of our pastors on this issue? <laughs> mixed. Yeah. Honestly, very mixed. Yeah, very divided. I really believe this is a matter of conscience. Correct. Uh, so I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of how a couple of people have answered this, even just on our own pastoral staff. So uh, on one hand, somebody would say, I'm not going to go to a same-sex wedding because that would be an endorsement of something that I don't believe in, and so I'm not going to go and support that. But maybe I'll go to the reception. Another person said, well, I'm not going to go to the reception because that's a party and I don't want to party around with this kind of stuff, whatever. Um, the other perspective was, well, if, my, if, if, if they already know where I stand, then me not coming to a wedding isn't going to change that. Uh, another perspective is, if, if this is what it takes to keep the relationship, even though they know that I disagree, uh, I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to go to it. It's, you know, it's a tough issue. I do think it's a matter of conscience. I know that there's probably plenty of Christians who have attended a wedding between a Christian and a non-Christian, even though Scripture expressly forbids the unequal yoking between a Christian and a non-Christian, but, but how many church folks have gone to those weddings and even brought a nice gift in the process? Um, is that not an endorsement of something that is anti-biblical? Uh, and so I, I think we've got to be very careful, and I, I think that this is a matter of conscience. I would just say pray about it. Um, where are you at? Is, is, is this something that, they, that you feel like this would be an endorsement of something that conflicts with your belief? If that's the case, then, uh, you know, I think that you, you want to let them, let them know about that um, in a kind way that is gracious and, and compassionate. For others, they may say, look, I don't, I don't agree with this, but I love you. For many people, it's their own kid. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Um, so you know where I stand on this but I'm, I'm going to be there too. So 
I'm not sure there's a hard and fast answer for this question. Yeah, I love the words you said, compassionate, gracious, kind, loving. Um, Paul says and to the Philippian church, you need to work out your own uh, faith through fear and trembling. That means you have to really sit there and wrestle with, am I willing to attend this wedding? Um, how would that show my faith or what I believe and not believe. So it's, it's a part of conviction. Mm -hmm. and, but you want to make sure that you still keep the door open because Jesus lived that. Mm -hmm. He never, never uh, was shaken with his integrity. He always, this is the standard. But the way he walked through the gospel and talked to the people, he met them where they were. And so as you wrestle with these various topics, not just this, how does God want me to respond? And each person is different. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think, I think it's probably the same conscience question as the use of pronouns. I know sometimes people ask that. Should I, you know, if I have a friend or a family member who wants to be, you know, identified as a different pronoun, they, them, or, you know, a different name or whatever. How should I, should I use the pronoun or should not? I think, it's the, I think it's the same question. I think it's a matter of conscience. You know, for some people, you may feel that the use of a pronoun endorses the lifestyle. Um, or you may say that, uh, look, if this is an, a barrier to having a relationship, okay, let's get the barrier out of the way. I'll call you what you want to be called. So I, I think it really comes down to, to a matter of conscience. And, the, and Scripture is filled with a lot of situations in life that, it does come down to conscious. I think the clear thing is to, to go back that sexuality has been established as a standard in Scripture, and I think we need to honor God with that. How we interact with others who may not be uh, living that standard is a different story. Amen, amen. Give God a hand and clap, amen. Again, we're going to transition the service because um, we, have, we have some people that are going to get baptized. And, but if you have questions, please, 909-281-7797, text question, and then you're going to get this link back for your question. Um, and then we're going to move on. But I, I love what you said. This is key. I want to go back to the first question. It said... Can someone who is LGBT also be a Christian? I want you guys to write this scripture down because I think sometimes we like to categorize or label or create lists for people. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, and I think we can all relate to this one. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that, this is key, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his spirit, our God. It's funny how the LGBT came in the middle. L LGBT came in the middle and not at the top. 
Hmm. When you're looking at lists, the emphasis is usually on the top or the bottom. I wonder why God put it in the middle. At the end of the day, we all have done something outside the will of God. So whether you're a liar, whether you're a cheater, whether you're a gossiper, whether you don't listen to your parents, and I think we all fall underneath that, because at the age of two you said no. That means you're not in the will of God. So at the end of the day, it's time for you to decide through fear and trembling how you're going to measure up the word of God. So I want to pray for us, and, and then I want to show you this amazing testimony of this young man. And, and we're going to move on with the service. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. Your word is true. It is accurate. However, Father God, you force us to come to your word with fear and trembling so that we can work out our salvation, Father God, with you. I pray for each person in this room where we all have fallen short. Help us, Father God, to be the man, the women you called us to be. And those who are wrestling with gender issues or sexuality issues, Father God, I pray that you keep them and show them, Father God, what they must do to be more like Christ. Father God, we thank you for those who are going to give right now, Father God, through tithes and offering, Father God. This is an act of submission to you, Father God. I pray that we even lean into that. And as we go on with the service, Father God, and I pray that you keep the tension in the room because it's through the tension, Father God, it's through the struggle that we're changed. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.